Uh, all right, before we jump into our text this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, I want to talk to, to talk. I want to talk to our young ones here. <clears throat> Let me warm up that voice. Uh, I want to talk to our young ones here and give you all a heads up what this passage is going to be about, what the sermon is going to be about, okay? So, kids, interactive here. Just throw, throw out what you're thinking here. What happens when you stub your toe? It hurts. Where does it hurt? Okay, but does it just hurt your, like, okay, so when you stub your toe, is it just your toe that is jumping up and down? No, no what, el- what is jumping up and down? Your whole body, okay, and what do your eyes do when you stub your toe? They start welling up with this liquid fluid thing, tears, okay, and what, is your ha- what do your hands do when you stub your toe? You say, oh, and, what, and, look, and then what is this knee doing? As you, I'm going to go right back into the communion table. And then what is, what is this knee doing? Is your, oh, stop, oh, oh, it's, it's bending. And what's this leg doing? What, what are these toes doing as you're grabbing this toe? Holding, hopping and holding the rest of you up. Okay, so when you stub your toe, what does it affect? <laughs> okay, let me start over. No, Everything. Yes, your toe and everything else. Your head hurts. Your eyes are, you know, it's, so you hurt one part of your body. The whole body hurts. Uh, So this is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I got in a motorcycle accident uh, years ago. And uh, and amazingly, miraculously, I did not die, uh, but I did break my pinky finger. And look, it is still all wonky. You want to see this later today? Like it's still, it's it goes this way. It's kind of crooked. I can still feel that from years ago. Like this pinky is not a hundred percent. Years before that, I got in a biking accident where I flipped over my. I don't get on bikes anymore, uh, of any kind. I flipped over my bike and I separated my shoulder. I still cannot sleep, kids. I still can't sleep on my right side because it hurts my shoulder and then it hurts my whole body. So. If one thing hurts in your body, it affects the whole body. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, what does that, like, like, here's the so what. What, is that, what does that mean for you? What does that have to do with you? Uh, it means, uh, well, because Paul is going to tell us today that the church, this, this thing right here, we are one body. We are one body. Paul's going to go off and off. The Bible's going to go off about how this church is a body. It's just like a body. What that means is when one person in this church hurts, we all hurt together. And it means when one person in this church has something awesome going on, we celebrate with that one person too. So if somebody has a baby, like Matt and Daisy just had a baby, we're all super excited for Matt and Daisy and the baby. When someone has something hard going on, we want to surround that person with love and care. We want to be able to cry with them, be sad with them, and lift them up. Because we are one body. Okay, uh, and here's what else it means. What it really, really means is, because you're one body, kids, you need the church. You need the church. Because, like, your pink, like, let's say you're the pinky of the body. You're no, you're no good to the body. Like, you can't just be a pinky on your own. Or let's say you're the left eye. You can't just be a left eye. Like, you need the body. And here's the other thing this means is, kids, the church needs you. We, look at all the grown-ups next to you. We need you. 
We need you here. We are, we are not whole without you. The church desperately, so don't think, oh, I'm just a kid, what is the church? Oh, we need you, so we need you desperately. You're a part of the body. You show us what it looks like to have faith in Jesus, to depend on Jesus, knowing that, hey, I'm like, I'm just like that kid. I'm like my kids. Just as like they need me, I need Jesus. Uh, that's, uh, that's what you do for us. And this is the last thing. Uh, last thing, kids. Paul tells us that we are not becoming the body. Ah, we just gotta like, if we work harder and harder and harder, one day we will be the body. No, no, no. Because of Jesus, because Jesus lived for us and because he died for us to save us, he has already made us one body. Because Jesus lives in each inside of every one of you and us, we are one body. And he's like the head of the body. That's what the picture is. So what that means is we just got to be the body. We don't have to become the body. We are the body. We just got to act like it by loving and serving one another. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to this church that he planted not too long ago when he writes this letter. Uh, he's writing back to the church because the church is full of all kinds of divisions. All kinds of, there's all kinds of infighting going on. And so he, this letter is super applicable. He goes just from one problem to the next to the next. Uh, and right now we're in 1 Corinthians 12, starting really with uh, chapter 11 all the way through 14. He's dealing specifically with issues that are going on in worship. So that's something we're going to look at today. Uh, more about worship. Here's a spoiler. We're talking about spiritual gifts uh, this morning. This morning, we're going to lay the groundwork. We're going to be looking at the forest. We're going to get the big picture. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at those trees. Uh, we're going to look at details. We're going to look at certain gifts like tongues, prophecies, healing stuff. But you've got to get this stuff first to get that stuff that's coming up. Uh, you've got to see this 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 morning if you want to see that stuff clearly. So uh, with that, please stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, <laughs> you'll see that we are skipping over verses 8, 9, and 10. That's when he introduces all this stuff about tongues and prophecies, which we are co I prompt we're coming back to next week. This is what we've got to concentrate on first. Uh, starting in verse 1, <clears throat> Paul says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, ah, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, uh, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modest, modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, big question. Big question is, what? What are the spiritual gifts? It's a great question. And it's right here. Verses 4 to 7. It's just right there. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are, notice the parallelism, varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So here's Paul channeling his, harnessing his Israelite heritage with some awesome Hebrew parallelism. This is, this is written in Greek, but he, he's thinking, he's got his Hebrew mind working. This is awesome parallel, parallelism, varieties of gifts, services, activities. Paul's using that parallelism such a hard word, to explain that the spiritual gifts, though there are a variety of them, are essentially a service. And they are an active service. The spiritual gifts are activities. Yay, activities. Activities, you, you doing something that you have been gifted to do. That is what the spiritual gifts are. And all are gifted. Every Christian has been given spiritual gifts. All are empowered by the same triune God. There's some explicit Trinitarianism for you right there, by the way. Spirit, Lord, God. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. The next big question is, well, so what? Like, the spiritual gifts, so what are they for? It's another great question. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As in, your spiritual gift, it is not for you. The gift that the Spirit has given you, has gifted you, is not for you. It's for the person sitting next to you. And it's for the person sitting next to them. Your spiritual gift is for the church. Your gift, whatever it is, 
It is not for your own personal devotion. It's something that you can do. It's an activity. It's an active service that you can do for the body of Christ. And you don't need a title. And you don't need a whole bunch of church programs to exercise your spiritual gift. Because they didn't have programs when Paul wrote this. And he was telling them, exercise your spiritual gifts. What do you need to exercise your spiritual gifts? Just those other people around you. You just need the body in order to serve the body. Okay, next big question. Next big question is, what are the different gifts? Come on, what are the, what are the different gifts? And what is my spiritual gift? And how do I know what my spiritual gift is? And how do I know how to use it? Wait, so you're trying to get me to talk about it next week? Wait, wait well, that's next week. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to give you one specific spiritual gift that you have, that every one of us has. Worship. Verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Do you all know what a big deal it is that you believe Jesus is Lord? It is everything. And it's not just everything to you. It is everything to us that you believe Jesus is Lord. This, what this does is this exposes two big lies. Those two big lies. The lie that the church does not need me. That's a lie. And the lie that I don't need the church. That's a lie. Okay. Follow me here. We might, we probably, we may never admit those things. Like, we may never, not here. We don't say those things out loud. Okay? But, uh, but I think we get exposed here when we look at our, we look at our day-to-day, our week-to-week calendar. Uh, when things get busy and overwhelming, it's not work that takes a back seat. It's not kids' school. The kids are going to school. Uh, it's also not kids' activities. We've got to go to kids' activities. Uh, and it's not recreation that takes a back seat. Y'all, we know church is the most expendable thing on the calendar. And this is not to guilt you. Like, guilt, like I'm, not, I'm not guilting you. I'm not shaming you. Do more ministry stuff. This is not, uh, no. And, and here's the real big thing is, y'all, I'm, like I get it, I'm the worst. Because you can sit there and say, like, you get paid to be here. I know, and it's still hard for me. So I'm standing up here telling you, like, I'm the worst at this. But this, is, this does, this exposes all of us that, that we, do, we do fall for those lies. I don't need the church. The church doesn't, like, the church doesn't need me. Those are lies. And one gift of service that you provide the church is you show up here to proclaim Jesus is Lord. If that is not just life-giving to you, it is. It is a service that is life-giving to the others around you. I look around and I see that I am not alone in this. You cannot survive on your own. And we 
cannot survive without you. That is how God designed it. He did it on purpose. We are one, one body. Now here's why, here's the why. Here's why the church needs you. Does the church really need you? Yes, here's why the church really needs you. Verses 15 and 16. How weird would it be for your hand if it started to think, man, uh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, let's do this. Let's do uh, uh, the foot. The foot looks up at the hand and says, Dad, I can't grab stuff like those hands. You know, I'm just, I'm just the worst. I'm, I'm a foot. I'm not even the worst. I'm no good. I'm a no good foot hand thing. I'm not, I'm not a hand. I'm no good. I stink. Dad joke. Uh, I'm useless to the body. I'm out of here, and the foot takes off severs itself from the body. I mean, the body would be in so much trouble without one of the foots. Uh, Paul's point is that the body is designed to work with all the parts working together. There is no indispensable part of your body. And, and don't, because I had to really think, don't say appendix, don't say tonsils, adenoids, wisdom teeth, left atrial appendage of the heart. I had doctors help me with this. Uh, God, listen, God did not form us thinking, I think I'm just going to throw in a belly button. Like, doctors have assured me uh, that, uh, that we know how some of this stuff helps us before we're even born, like while we're still in the womb. Uh, we know how, how this stuff helps us. Actually, after birth, your adenoids are important. Um, and some of it we're still not sure yet. But uh, let's not, just don't miss, here's the point, just don't miss Paul's very, very excellent metaphor. The church is a body, and you may think that your part, that you're a part of the church that, that just doesn't matter that much. Like you're one of those dispensable parts of the body. That is so not true. That is a lie. That is false. You are not, and I'm talking, I'm like, this is where you, like, talking individually to each one of you, you want to say you by name, uh, you are not inconsequential to this church. You are not expendable. We need you. Each and every one of you, the church needs you. Uh, you are necessary to this body. Y'all remember, y'all remember, uh, let's, let's talk some history. Y'all remember some World War II history, uh, the emergency evacuation of Dunkirk. Uh, our, our older ones here, do y'all, y'all remember that? Younger ones here, have y'all ever heard of that? Uh, there's this, there's this great film, uh, about it called Dunkirk. Um, so it's spring, it's 1940, and Hitler with his special tanks, these panzer things, Hitler's panzer divisions, they're sweeping through France, they're just decimating all of the, uh, the allied troops, French troops, and, and they are on, their, on the path. They're on their way to invade Great Britain. And the Dutch and the Belgians, they have, uh, they've surrendered. The British expeditionary force and its allies, they're cut off, and they are surrounded along this narrow strip of coastline in France and Belgium in the channel port of, of Dunkirk. There are 340,000 of these allied troops that are surrounded. And uh, the, uh, the German troops, they're a few miles away in the hills of France. 
it's going to be an absolute slaughter. In the British Royal Navy, they only have enough ships to evacuate at most 1,700 troops. There are 340,000 of them. In the House of Commons, they are told to brace for the worst outcome. And the men, the troops, they know their fate. They know this. And so with no hope, no hope in sight, a bizarre fleet of ships appears on the horizon of the English channels. Trawlers, tugboats, fishing sloops, lifeboats, sailboats, pleasure crafts, an island ferry, um, the, uh, the American's J-class yacht, the Endeavor. They're all manned by civilians speeding to the rescue of their soldiers. So pilots of the Royal Air Force, they're up in the sky. They're fighting off the uh, German Luftwaffe Air Force, the German Air Force, and that ragtag armada. They rescue all of those troops. And they get them all back to the shores of England. So warfare is, is a common uh, biblical metaphor for this Christian life because of the spiritual warfare that we really, 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 really are in. This is one of my pastor mentors, uh, uh, mentor pastors that said this, this right here, that Dunkirk thing, that is a picture of the church and the church needs the church. Like this is why the church needs you. Those were soldiers fighting for their country. Those were soldiers in World War II fighting for civilians. And then, it, and then there they are needing, needing their country's civilians to fight for them. The church is a body of many members who, who need each and every one of us to believe the gospel and to fight for each other and to serve one another and to come for each other so that we can win the war together. Loved ones, the church needs you. And you need the church. Verse 21, imagine another ridiculous scenario just as ridiculous as the foot thinking, oh, I'm no good to the body. It would be ridiculous, so, so ridiculous for the eye to look at the hand and for the eye to say to the hand, you silly hand, you're not an eye. I don't need you. For the eye to look at the rest of the body and like, all of you, like the rest of you, I'm the eye. What, like, I don't need you. Uh, get lost. I, the eye, have no need of you. Like, that's silliness. What good, what good is an eye ripped out of its socket. Gross. It's no good. It's worthless. And Paul's point is that it would, it would be just as ridiculous and absurd and false for a Christian to look at the church and say, I don't need the rest of you Christians. You, that's not true. You desperately need the church. Verses 11, it goes on, it's like all the gifts, though there are different ones, are all equally important and necessary. No gift, which means no, no gift can be used on its own, and no gift is more valuable than another. So we need the gifts that God has given to others that he has not given to us, because here's another spoiler. None of us have all the spiritual gifts. There was only one person who had all the spiritual gifts. 
think you know who that one was. It's Jesus. None of us here have all the spiritual gifts. That's also by design. As in, you cannot do everything well. And God has gifted others to help you in your life with Jesus. So we come here, we show up here to say, let me help you. And help me. The, the why you need the church is what this passage is assuming, all, like all over the passage is this assumption of why you need the church. It's just easy for us to miss because we're so hyper-individualized today. But verse 12, it is one body. Yes, the body is made up of individual members and the individual members make up one body. And so it is with Jesus. As in, and so it is with Jesus's body of which you are a part. That is, this is how we relate to Jesus. This is how we relate to God, is with one another. That next verse, verse 13, in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Why do you need the church? Well, if you want to know God, if you want to know Jesus, you have to be an active, participating part of the body, this thing called the church. Again, that's God did that on purpose. It's by design. C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis, his best friend J.R. Tolkien, uh, and this other guy, Charles Williams, all authors, English authors uh, back in the day, all super, super smart guys. Uh, they're all three best friends. And the three of them, Lewis, uh, Tolkien, who's called Ronald, and Charles, uh, just, they, do, they do everything together. They just love each other so much, best friends, always want to be together. And then tragically, unexpectedly, Charles dies. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis, as he's grieving, and as he's thinking about Charles's death, he, he, does, he has this thought. He's trying to console himself. He's trying to comfort, him, comfort himself. And he's saying, well, I still have Ronald. And now, now we'll actually be closer than ever before. Because now that Charles is gone... Like, I'm going to have more of Ronald to myself. And then time goes by, and Lewis realizes just how so wrong he is. He does not have more of Ronald now. Now that Charles is gone, he actually has less of Ronald because there was a side of Ronald that only Charles could bring out. And Lewis, he writes this, he says, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole person into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him, quote, to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. People are really, really deep. Each and every one of you is actually pretty complex. And you really, really cannot know another person by yourself. It takes a community to draw a whole person out. And Lewis and Paul, Paul, is saying right here that if that's true of another human being, then how, like, how true is it of someone like Jesus? How true of it is if we want to know Jesus, the deepest per you know, talk about deep, someone who's deep and complex, Jesus. You won't, you cannot know Jesus by yourself. The deeper you get into the church, the deeper you will get into the life of Jesus. 
And that's why we need Christians. Why we need Christians who are different from us. Why we need Christians who are ethnically different from us. Why we need Christians who are politically different from us. This is why we need older Christians who have walked this life longer than we have. This is why you need Christians who are of the same age as you so that you know you're not crazy going through what you're going through because you can look at that other person who says, me too. Uh, This is why you need Christians who are younger than you. This is why we here need middle schoolers and elementary schoolers and toddlers who still have wonder in their eyes when they hear that Jesus loves them, who still live a life of dependence on those who love them Uh, so that we can remember that childlike faith that we are supposed to have and so that we can recapture some of that dependence on God that we're supposed to live with. We here need little itty-bitty babies who are this concrete picture of total need because that is what we are supposed to be like. All of this is why you need the church. I heard one of my... Uh, I heard another pastor friend tell this story. I went, I fact-checked it. True story, okay? This is true. This is a true story as told by the local post and courier. You can go look this up. Uh, Back in 2007, at Lake uh, Moultrie in South Carolina, on a bright, sunny Sunday afternoon, uh, there was a big family reunion, big party at the lake. Uh, They're smoking some uh, pork shoulder. Uh, They are dancing some Macarena, They were doing some serious picnicking when a man in a uh, snorkel, some snorkel gear, stumbles through the tree line, grasping at his left shoulder where his arm used to be. Uh, And they see blood gushing from between his fingers. And he says, call my wife, call my wife. Uh, At this family picnic, there just happened to be five nurses, five nurses in the family. And they quickly lay this man down on the ground. They tourniquet his arm to try to slow down the bleeding. They put ice on his wound. They are telling him stories to keep him awake. Another member of the party follows the trail of blood, follows it through the tree line to the shore of the lake where he sees a pool of blood in the sand. He's trying to figure it out. Then he notices that there's a little blood in the water. And then he looks up and right there in the water is this gigantic alligator with the arm still in its mouth. Paramedics show up and they stabilize the man and they airlift him by helicopter to the ER. At the same time, a wildlife officer shows up, does the same tracking, follows the pool of blood, follows it into the water, gets in the water and tracks down this record-sized 12-foot, 600-pound alligator and he shoots it. And then he and some others drag that thing up onto the shore and they cut it open and they fish out the arm. And then they put it in some of the picnickers cooler, put it on ice with some Cokes and some Sprites and they rush it to the hospital with a police escort. There, skilled surgeons work long, long hours and they successfully reattach this man's arm. Now, why all the fuss? Like, it's just an, y'all, it's just an arm. 
Like, why did those nurses get involved in that bloody mess? They were in the middle of a nice picnic. Like, why did that guy trace the trail of blood following a path that obviously leads to danger? Like, why did that officer track the monster down knowing what he was tracking down? Like, why did they get in the water thinking, oh, you shot it? Great. Okay, that thing's got to be dead, right? Okay, let's grab it. Let's, haul, let's swim with this thing, you know, not knowing if there are other things like this right around us. Okay, let's haul this thing up onto the shore. Let's get really messy, and let's cut that sucker open, and let's get that arm. The police escort to the hospital. Like, all the cost, that surgery, all those hours. Why? Why all the fuss? Because it's an arm. And because the body without an arm is seriously impaired, and that arm without its body is no good. Because it's an arm, because... We here, y'all, we cannot allow ourselves to be cut off from this body. And we dare not cut off ourselves from this body. The hinge of this whole passage is verses 12 and 13. It says this, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. Like, if you remember in the last passage, Paul was talking about communion. It's, it's, so it's not a shocker that he's talking about he's got the other, sacrament, the other sacrament on his mind, that he's got baptism on his mind. Now follow me here, follow me here. Whenever baptism is on Paul's mind or the mind of anybody in the church, in the early church, They've also got Noah on the mind. Just follow me here. Because the Noahic flood, think, think the, the, world, the flood with Noah. That is the model, that is the pattern uh, that, the New that New Testament baptism draws its significance from. So when, the, when people in the church are thinking like, what's the big deal with baptism? They are thinking of the flood. What... what it, so if you're thinking like, what is baptism about? Again, start with that. Start with the flood. In 1 Peter 3, Peter calls the Noahic flood a baptism. And the Noahic flood was all about death. It was all about judgment. Okay, now, just keep following. So keep following me here. Okay, even more amazing is in Genesis 9, right after that flood with Noah, God comes to Noah and he calls that flood a cutting off. A cutting off curse judgment. God promises Noah that he's not going to do that cutting off flood again. He says, Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Okay, still with me? Now we go back to the New Testament, and, and the New Testament calls Jesus' crucifixion the true baptism. Because on the cross, Jesus took ultimate death and judgment. Okay, here's the point. <laughs> here's the point. What Jesus has done is pursue you, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. He's pursued you to save you. As in, Jesus was cut off in the flood judgment of the cross in order to graft you back into the church body, into the body of his people. 
And this is saying here in verses 12 to 13 that your baptism, do not forget it. Your baptism is a mark that is put on you. You can't see it anymore. God does. Your baptism is a mark that you belong to the body. God is speaking to you still in your baptism, proclaiming, I am your God. I have saved you. You are in union with Jesus, and in union with Jesus, you have undergone judgment with him, in him. And you have come out of that ultimate judgment to new, unending, eternal, glorified life with Jesus. And with all of those, he is saved. This is Paul's assurance to the Corinthian church. And remember who he is talking to here. The Corinthian church, this is Paul's assurance to a church that is so steeped in division. Okay, so if not the same, just say how much more of an assurance to us? As in, this is who you are. You are a part of this body because of Jesus. This is who you're, we are not becoming the body of Jesus, loved ones. We are the body of Jesus already because of Jesus. So let's be the body. Let's love. Let's serve one another. Because you need this church. Because this church needs you. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your son. We thank you for our head, our Lord, our Savior. We thank you that in him uh, we have salvation, and it's not this thing that we have been saved alone. We have been saved into a family. You have made us your family. You have made us one body. We thank you for the glory uh, uh, of, of being your people, of knowing our Lord and Savior and in knowing what we are to do in loving and serving one another, of, of pushing one another, using the gifts, using the resources that you have gifted us to point each other to Christ, to keep going together, to go after one another. Father, bless us today to remember that, to act on it, to walk in faith, and to do it again tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, and to allow others to come alongside us and help us when we need help. Lord, help us to be one body, we pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.